Welcome back to another session of Better Podcasting Chats with me, I'm SP. This is a streamed and recorded casual chat, or you can call it a conversation, with other hobby and passion podcasters to share their experience, knowledge, joy, and enthusiasm of podcasting. Once this live stream is over, I'm going to take these recorded files and turn it into a podcast, as podcasters do. Better Podcasting is a project by Stephen John Drew and myself to help hobby and passion podcasters start their podcasts and make their existing projects better. That's why we named it Better Podcasting. At the top, I just want to say thank you very much to Travis Crawford, also known as TV's Travis, for joining me in the previous chat. Once again, you can check out Travis's Wait You Haven't Seen podcast at tvstravis.com. For the next few moments, I'm going to talk about my passion. Y'all have passions about your podcasts. This is my passion, space. Hours after the previous chat with Travis that was recorded, NASA launched the Artemis 1 mission off of Launchpad LC-39B at Cape Canaveral Space Force Station in Florida at 1.47 a.m. Wednesday, November 16th, 2022. It was an outstanding show to watch and even more of a celebration of everyone involved in the program. Very happy for the team there. Artemis 1 used Boeing Space Launch System, known as SLS, and it was the rocket's first official trip, making it the most powerful rocket ever to launch at 8.8 million pounds of thrust. And it's only going to get bigger from there. Currently, the Orion Space Capsule, which was launched on top of the SLS, is in a long retrograde orbit around the moon and will make its return back to Earth starting on December 5th with a splashdown on December 11th, 2022. The next mission to the moon will make the same trip, but include astronauts this time and will happen sometime in the 2024 timeframe. Over in Texas, Starship continues to ramp up for its first orbital flight test in the Boca Chica SpaceX Texas facility. Currently, SpaceX is repairing the orbital launch mount and providing more protection and cladding following the 14-engine static fire test last week. The next static fire will not happen until at least after the Thanksgiving holiday in the United States at this time, since that's when the next potential road closures are scheduled for. And talking about orbital launch mounting damage, NASA also had some significant scoring of the SLS launch system as well, and we'll be trying to deal with that in the future. Okay, moving on to my other podcasting activities, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. covered the X-Men, the animated series, season four, episodes 14 down through 11, or 11 through 14. With the X-Men, you never know if you're time traveling or not. And on the podcast, we will return to MCU films, Thor, Love and Thunder, and Black Panther Wakanda Forever in the coming weeks. You can check that out at legendsofshield.com. Now, the Better Podcasting main show, of which this is a spinoff show from, published episode 264 a couple of days ago about how your personality imprints on your podcast. You can check that out at betterpodcasting.com. In case you are new to Better Podcasting Chats with SP, and you're listening to this or watching this for the first time, if you are a hobby or passion podcaster, I am interested in talking to you. And if you want to schedule a time to chat with me about your podcasting experience and your podcast, please send me an email to stargatepioneer at betterpodcasting.com. You can DM me on Twitter if you're still there, 
or on Discord, and we'll arrange a date. I'll send you a calendar scheduling link. That's new now. In case you don't think this applies to you, as I said before, it probably does. So don't hesitate in getting in touch with me. I'm excited to chat with you. And as of this recording, there's only one more slot for the year of 2022 available. Get it while it's hot. There are slots in there for 2023. For the next hour, I'm chatting with Paul K. DiCosanzo. Paul has his origins in content production with the Good News Review Online magazine, or aka TGNR.com, and it has the tagline, quote, good news that's real news, unquote, and he served as the managing editor since 2015. Paul met his now co-host Patrick Foote of the YouTube channel Name Explain in 2018 and decided to start a history podcast in August of 2019. Now it's in its fifth season, the AD History Podcast, and has published over 50 episodes and includes a video version on YouTube as November 2021. Welcome to the chat, Paul. How are you doing, SP? It is wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to have you. What inspired you to start podcasting a few years ago? You know, that's kind of an interesting question. I feel like in many ways, podcasting almost kind of chose me, which is to say that for the longest time throughout my whole life, I've always had a distinct fascination and interest in just forms of audio media, whether that be talk radio, especially sports talk radio, but other forms as well. I love baseball on the radio. You know, that is the, it is a sport that absolutely is perfect for that medium. So listening to folks like the Yankees, John Sterling or the late Vin Scully, you know, these incredible names that really paint the picture of what it is that is happening there, really catching the flavor of the moment. Now, granted, John Sterling doesn't quite give the count enough. And I've had quite a few you know, it is high, it is far, it is caught right in front of the 408 sign in center field at Yankee Stadium, but it is a man who truly knows how to paint a picture in words. In addition to, you know, growing up, my brother and I going to sleep would listen to a, a variety of things. Probably some of the most notable of them, interestingly enough, is stand-up comedy. So, for example, one of my biggest influences, especially when it comes to the spoken word in a variety of ways, for example, is the stand-up of George Carlin, or Lenny Bruce, or Chris Rock, or Richard Pryor. You know, these, oh, oh goodness, you know, the late Norm MacDonald, may he rest in peace. And of course, I adore audiobooks. You know, these are wonderful forms that really, you don't need the visual. It's there, and it's created in your mind. And on top of that, it is such a wonderfully intimate medium of communication and mass distribution in a way that television or other forms of visual media don't really resonate quite the same way. Now, granted, obviously, we chose to also become a video podcast, so it's important. But for me, in terms of my own tastes and my own influences in that regard, that's always kind of been there. And so in about I had known I'd wanted to podcast probably since about 2016. And then in mid-2017 in June, I bought my first mixer that would lead towards that end. On top of that, of course, my father is a professional musician. The thing was, 
at least in terms of getting into all of the stuff that comes with podcasting, I had always really more associated audio production with music because of my dad. But in this case, you know, the talent for music definitely skipped a generation when it came to my brother and myself. But when I started making that connection between something that I found profoundly interesting, especially like broadcast terrestrial radio, and then all of the other elements that come with creating a podcast, it was a chemical bomb that turned into an absolutely incredible chain reaction. And so I got this first eight-track Mackie mixer because I was reading stuff online, and I realized at this point I had no conception of a co-host. I thought it was just going to be myself. I thought it'd probably be a lot of interview-based stuff. I thought maybe, oh, it could be focused on the Second World War because that's like one of the sandboxes historically that I'm most comfortable in. But what fate could have only <laughs> delivered in, in its own way is the first meeting between myself and my now longtime co-host, Patrick Foote. So you had mentioned kind of the Reader's Digest version of this. So let me, let me build on it a little bit. So for TGNR at TGNReview.com, one of the things I, I have done a lot are interviews. I love doing interviews, especially when they're transcript interviews, because I, I love catching the flavor and, and their exact words, as opposed to taking quotes and extrapolating into my own spin. Let the guest be the guest, and I'll host be the host, or interview be interviewer. You get the idea. That's the old, that's the old Johnny Carson Adam. Let the guest be the guest, and let the host be the host. And in this case, and this was completely coincidental, I reached out to him probably sometime in the middle of February of 2018. And you know from, as a podcasting veteran, when you're interested in talking to someone for the first time, but they don't know who you are, and you make that cold reach outwards, you're never sure exactly what you're going to find. You try to intuit a bit, try to internalize some stuff of whether, okay, does this guy have a potentially interesting story? Does it look like we might have some chemistry that could make it a very good interview? But you don't know what you're going to get. So you fire off that, the email. You're not even sure if they're going to get it. And, you know, say nothing of whether they're going to respond. And if they respond, are they going to accept it or not? But everything went quite luckily right there. And he was very interested. He had just reached that 100,000 subscriber mark with Name Explained. That's not the reason I chose to reach out to him. The reason I chose to reach out to him was because I thought Name Explained was really outstanding. And I loved the work he was doing. It was very original in a way that spoke to me. And it had that kind of dry, cheeky sense of humor that very much speaks to me. So I thought there was a good story there. And I reach out to him and he agrees. And we sit down probably in about middle of March of 2018. And, you know, like I said, you don't know what you're getting necessarily until you're really right there in the moment. And it just happened to turn out that we got along like a house on fire. It was great. It was a wonderful interview. It wasn't transcript. It was, it was a piece on him. But after the interview was done, we just kind of started talking you know, about various professional aspirations that we had, just kind of, you know, shooting the excrement, as it were. And, he, you know, we had mentioned, one, that we both had aspired to podcasting. There was no conception at that point that we would work together. And he also mentioned that he had signed on to write a book that was name explain the book. And he said, you know what? It's going to come out in September. How about we reconnect at that time and follow up? Which, of course, sounds great. Why not? You know, great story, great interview subject. So that's exactly what happens. And in that follow up, he asked me something that I could never have anticipated, SP, which is, 
Hold, do you live in the New York City area, right? Yes, why do you ask? Well, I'm going to be visiting New York City by myself at the end of October, early November, in this case of 2018. And he didn't know really anybody else in the United States. I think maybe he had been here once or twice as a kid to visit Disney World with his family. But that's hardly the, the all-American experience, at least in terms of visiting that area, though it is a very much an American experience. And he said, well, let's find a time, you know, to get together while I'm there. And I thought, yeah, that's great. Why not? So we meet up and uh, for dinner in Brooklyn with myself, my brother and his then fiance, now wife. And it was a wonderful occasion. We all had a lot of fun hanging out. It was a great night. And towards the end of the evening, he and I are leaving because I have to catch the last train out of, you know, out of Grand Central at that point. And he very kindly covered the Uber, which dropped me off at the L train stop nearest where I was in Williamsburg. And on the way we were talking, he said, he's like, so, you know, he mentioned, he mentioned podcasting and, you know, would be interested in podcasting. And I said, are you talking about coming on an interview program that I'm hosting? Or are you talking about creating a show together? And it was the latter. And I said, you know what? That sounds like something that could be really interesting. Let's explore this further. And that's precisely what we did. And prior to that point, not only had I got the mixer, but, you know, I had done a lot of research and, and various things and the million details that come before you ever put even a word to recorded audio, which kind of got us up and running. And so we started probably about late January for what would be a sixth or seventh month long development process. Partially due to circumstance, because we had other things going on, but we wanted to take it in a very measured fashion. We wanted to get the details right. We really wanted to learn, and we wanted to really craft the show into something special. And at the time, my idea, as I had mentioned prior, was that it would be something having to do the Second World War, because anytime you're dealing with somebody that works in history in some capacity, and I definitely think it's important to note here, that neither he nor myself consider ourselves historians. You know, in my case, I would more consider myself in the areas that are most interesting to me. The Great War, the Second World War, the interward period, interwar period, the Cold War, and that sort of thing. But he wasn't as up on that, and which was totally cool. You know, I was very much open. And he came up with this wonderful idea that spoke to me immediately, SP which is this concept of AD history. And the initial concept for him, this was, and he had this long before he and I met, is that it would be done, it would be the same 2,000-year epoch, but it would be basically one-minute videos where it, it does something that happened in 1 AD and then in 2 AD and kind of going along there. It was going to be a second channel for him at some point whenever he chose to do it. But we ended up molding it into something a bit different which is instead of the year by year, because that would be you know, bloody impossible for all intents and purposes, we figured out, hey, let's do it on a decade by decade basis. Long form talk with at least two segments, one where each of us lead a particular topic and event or figure, something that's significant that happened in world history during that decade. And the most important caveat to understand about AD history in total is that the events that we choose from world history are ones that we feel 
had made what we consider to be a concrete contribution to the creation of our modern world. So the tagline of the show is weaving an epic tapestry of world history from 1 AD to HD. And so the idea basically is that as it built and the show continues over time, we build that tapestry thread by thread that ultimately creates this, you know, absolutely, in some ways, ridiculous world from all of this history. There is this great quote, I forget who says, I think it's Proshlo uh, Neproshlo, the past will never pass away. And that's very much how we feel on the subject because for historians and for a lot of people, the past is still very much alive. And has so much to do with our present. It's in no way, absolutely in no way irrelevant to that process. So AD history is our building that over time. And sometimes it's very heavily focused in one place. Sometimes it's very heavily focused in another. We know we can't hit everything. But largely, it was this incredible idea of his that we worked together to mold and then ultimately taking that six or seven month experience of development and creating something special. And it also spoke to me because it was very similar in, in certain respects to a YouTube channel that at the time it first started was very unique, a tremendous idea. Did, have you ever came across the Great War in YouTube, SP? I think I might have once or twice, but I'm not subscribed to it or anything. Are you familiar with the concept? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So for you listening or watching, wherever you may be listening or watching right now, that's not familiar with the Great War, what they did starting in late July of 2014 is that they covered the First World War week by week from the first shots and even before the first shots, obviously, because there's a lot that goes on before that ever ends up happening, all the way to the armistice, which of course at the time of recording here is only a couple weeks ago for us in terms of the anniversary and they go into great detail you know 100 years ago what was happening in the war and they follow it chronologically and i thought to myself wow if there is something that i could do that would be a project on this kind of huge level that's great undertaking that is exactly the kind of thing that would speak to me and quite coincidentally and serendipitously that's what Patrick suggested when he first you know, shared the, the embryonic phase of what his AD history was. And now it's come to what it is today. So much to unpack there. Let's start with the <laughs> fact that you're an epic Red Sox fan. I Oh, God. Red Sox? <laughs> Red Sox? No, 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 no. <laughs> Those are fighting words, my friend. Those are fighting words. Yeah, well, I had to get something spirited going on here. Nah. No, no, feel free to bust my chop. Okay. The other thing is the way that you're describing AD history podcast is yeah, yeah. very similar to a concept that a lot of people know through movie review podcasts. For example, Star Wars Minute, you know, they're taking the Star Wars movies one minute at a time, right? So you're <laughs> dissecting this like two hour long thing and mm -hmm. you're talking one minute each time. So each movie is at least 120 episodes right there, right? Yeah. And they've done a phenomenal job. They talk about the specific minute, but they talk about the generalities of what's going on at the same time, the development of the story arc, the actual movie production, the post-production, you know, what was going on with George Lucas at the time or Kirsk or, or whatever. 
and there's a lot of other podcasts that do that with either IPs, Harry Potter, individual movies, action movies, or whatever. So it's a similar concept that has been done in the film industry, at least. So if you're listening to better podcasts and you have to be a, happen to be a fan of TV and movie podcasts, you probably have run into this concept before. And the way that you're doing it from AD year one until present day, that's at least 202 episodes right there, right? I believe it's 252, but there are also additional special episodes and things of that nature. We just dropped okay. one the other day, which actually originally we didn't even intend to be an episode. We have a middle segment for patrons for them to submit a question that we'll answer in that segment. And that happened to be debating the question, which is a very historically relevant one. Should the late Elizabeth II be known to history with the honorific title Elizabeth the Great or Elizabeth the Wise? So when you get to the end of the day, it's, it's going to probably clear 300 by when all is said and done. Well, that will be an epic project indeed. At least you have an <laughs> off-ramp. Some of my podcasts don't have off-ramps yet. Yeah, well, off-ramps are very important. It is. We discussed it on Better Podcasting. Uh, when we came back, I believe it was episode 263, when we talked about having seasons and having a natural off-ramp with those seasons. If you're doing a weekly podcast, mm. I think that's important to do. A lot of people said, okay, just podcast, podcast every week, and you keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. And what we found out with both the going to geek show and better podcasting is there was not a natural time where we could sit back and say, Hey, we're going to be done. So it's not like an audio drama where you have, you know, a story that you're trying to tell. Yeah. You can tack on other seasons or something like that, but you have a end point in mind, but you definitely did have an end point in mind. Now you could go back and do different deep dives in this stuff and keep things going a little bit, but yeah, you had a project scope right there, which I think is important. And that gets into another thing that I wanted to talk to you about that you stated is it took you a little while to actually develop the podcast. This wasn't instantaneous. You didn't just meet with your co-host and say, Hey, look, let's get around the dining room table with a blue Yeti and let's podcast. God, I hate that microphone, but <laughs> a lot of people do. I mean, it, it's got its place. I don't advocate for it, but I mean, it was a, a big thing in podcasting for a while, especially with the three guys, no brain sort of podcast sitting around a table thinking that they would get the same audio quality as you can with more professional gear. Anyway, my point is it took you a little bit, took you a minute to set up everything. You didn't just decide to go and then start recording the next hour. That's very true. So in this case, something that always kind of baffles me, I remember, so there's a small live stream that happens more or less every Friday night that's hosted by Aiden Wolf of Dark Corner Studios. Some of your listeners may be familiar with Dark Corner. He's still kind of on the smaller side as channels go in this pantheon of audio production, YouTube creators. But he also happens to teach a course on podcasting at a local community college up in Toronto where he lives. And the stream is small enough that when you pose a question, he and the fellow he does it with by the name of Dylan, they're tremendous guys, they'll answer it. And so Aiden teaches this, this course. And the thing that he mentioned that was interesting is how many of his students just want to do a show where, you know, they put the Blue Yeti right there in front of them and just go for like an hour, two hours. They don't have any sort of specific purpose or subject. They just want it to be 
people just riffing and enjoying upon whatever that is they happen to feel they want to talk about. And then once they're done with that, they don't want to do any real post-production, then whip it up and then expect people to be interested and listen. And I can tell you for sure, at least in my experience, that is not a good way to go. First off, as far as I'm concerned, in doing AD history, it's less about the co-hosts in many respects and more about the concept, that there's a purpose to what we're doing, there's a methodology to what we're doing, and that more or less to some degree, whether it's just reading the description or the first two minutes of every episode, more or less you understand what we're doing right there on the tin. And one thing that was interesting is that in my years, still doing it, but in my years in the managing editor role developing TGNR, is that I began realizing there are so many incredibly important peripheral details that come into creating desirable media in one form or another in our modern day. So let me give you an example of the kind of details we're talking about here. If you read just about any sort of news article online, something most people don't realize is that the paragraph length is very, very short. It's not like when you're reading a book, you get maybe two, three sentences top. So that way, wherever you may be scrolling on the screen, especially now with mobile devices, there'll always be some white space because they want to make it so that people are reading more than, say, they think they're reading. In addition to that, creating articles or setting up a site where you're really leveraging and having a very well-crafted approach for search engine optimization, SEO, and really making editorial decisions for what might fit in the publication you're working for, what might not fit into it. There's a million details. And so coming out of that experience, I knew that there's this whole secondary game, secondary approach that a successful podcast ultimately needs to be able to enact in order to put their show on the best footing especially when it comes to, say, the, the digital infrastructure of it all. It's more than really just having a place for the podcasting host to plop on there and then you send your RSS feed out everywhere. So, you know, things like the SEO strategy, the content strategy, and people understanding what they're getting into, things of that nature, in addition to the show itself and structuring it in a way that is appealing. And the interesting part about this is, though, even coming out of that, when it came to podcasting itself and all the, the other loves I've had in terms of audio, and especially when you're talking about terrestrial talk radio of one form or another, I had actually listened to, and for the most part, a very small amount of podcasts where there is this, there are no rules in terms of how things are set up or how things should be. So I'm coming from this traditional radio approach where there's a real introduction. There's a setup. There are segments. In this case, in our segments, they're very clearly delineated, things of that nature. And going through just a million various details along the way that you, the listener, will never see, but we certainly, that's okay because it's helping you find what we're doing and enjoy it more. So I was coming out of this very traditional idea where there had to be something of a logical flow to a show 
where it's not just we jump in, hey, you know, this is episode of the AD History Podcast. You know, there's a, there's a good lead-in. You know, there's professional voiceover that makes the transitions and various intros. You know, you let, we let the audience know who we are right off the bat because you always treat it as if somebody's listening to you for the first time. And then when you're done with the intro, you make the tease going into the second segment, which, you know, going to the ground rules was lead in the first segment, then the second, the first segment into the second segment. And having it structured as such, which actually for us has been very successful. And these are all things that came along over time. Like I just mentioned to you, the professional VO. That was something that he and I actually probably came up with the idea almost at the same time, more or less at the you know ninth or 10th hour where we realized, hey, you know, we're doing this. And this is a point I'm going to make in a moment where, hey, you know what? He said, I know a professional voiceover actress and professional she is uh anna chloe mori also known to listeners of 80 history as anna domini <laughs> you know that that that's her and how much that brings to a show things of that nature a million details that really enhance the experience for the listener to make it as enjoyable as possible and i guess the thing that really is kind of important to note here is that when it comes to how we view ourselves in terms of the podcasting experience we're having, I don't necessarily know that you could call us hobby podcasters. And the reason I say that is that it's something that we record during our workday that on our resume, co-host of the AD History Podcast goes under professional experience. And they're very much featured in the, the, the content creation world that we live in. So we very much push toward that end and one of the reasons why in many cases we're, we're so particular about trying to get all of the meaningful details of how ad history is done in the proper order and having that time to do it was incredibly important in addition to the fact and this is very much worth noting is that in terms of the technical aspects of doing the show our original arrangement as such was that i would handle the production actual recording aspect of it on my side i would just deal with that and then because he at that point through name explain had more experience in incorporating audio than i did which was zero at that point it was kind of went to him but it struck me probably sometime in mid to late may of 2019 so like two and a half three months before we even started at least officially launched i thought to myself well I probably should develop a certain level of competency here on the post-production side of things so that if for some reason he is unable to do it, especially considering it's a 90-minute to two-hour-long show and anything can happen, that I need some kind of competency that if I have to take over the role temporarily, that I'm able to do it. And he said, yeah, you know, I enjoy doing it. And, you know, I said, okay, let me try it. So I go and I download Audacity for the first time. And much to my surprise, I actually enjoyed it. Now, first off, obviously, none of the stuff I was working on at that point ever made it public. I was like a bull in a china shop at that point, you know, in terms of approach. You know how it is when you're a first timer going into audio production. You don't realize that the maximum setting is not the setting you want. You have to caress and mold it and be very gentle in particular because you yank on the wrong thread, the whole thing falls apart. And so I kept going back and taking you know some of the dress rehearsal episodes that we did that never became public and try to 
work with them more and more. And I was enjoying it, and I was starting to get better at it. And I was also very fortunate because even then, and especially now, YouTube is such an incredible resource for extremely good information when it comes to producing really high-quality audio. And before I knew it, and before he knew it, I ended up taking over the post-production side as well because I loved doing it, and I always had, and I had this really strong inborn desire to keep getting better at it. Public would never hear the stuff, and I'm really glad they didn't. It sounded awful those first few tries out, but it ended up in that seven-month-long process for me to get into something like that and really begin trying to hone it. And boy, I'm really glad that I did, especially... You know, if you had to choose between learning audio first or video first, choose audio every time. That's 90% of the presentation if you have a video portion of it as well. But it's also, in many respects, the most difficult. And there has to be patience. There has to be a real dedication to getting good at it because it takes time because it is so delicate. And understanding what it is you want and trying to get a decent idea of how to get from A to B. I did not start with video. I started with audio and I used Audacity to start with. I do not use Audacity anymore, but it was a great place to start with. Great training wheels. Also, Stephen and I have been podcasting for quite some time when we started Better Podcasts. And I don't know if you heard the story or not, but we took 10 months to start Better Podcasting. We actually approached each other in the holiday 2014 timeframe. He will admit to approaching me first and he did beat me by a couple of hours. I was thinking the exact (laughs) same thing. We had had some peripheral conversations. And so we were like circling each other, like a couple of sharks about ready to pounce on each other. (laughs) And so he messaged me. So we didn't produce our first episode until the end of October. So at least 10 months from concept of saying, let's do this until we actually produce the podcast. Little of that was we were ramping up for video because video did take a level up in terms of gear. Oh, yeah. He had entirely new computer that he had to build for the video editing and the streaming. Uh, We decided we did some tests. We decided that his rig would probably be best just because his internet was better than mine and he could push out more than I could. To this day, that is still true. His upload is better than mine. Even though we both have the best, his is better than mine, but it took us 10 months to get there. So while I don't advocate, if you're just starting your podcast, taking 10 months to get everything together, because you can analysis to paralysis. Absolutely. Absolutely. You should take some time to come up, like you said, with the purpose, the why go into the little creation details. You said you use a professional VO. We use a friend, but she is a professional voiceover actor. She's on my other podcast, Lauren. And yeah, this all takes time to set up. So I could see it taking a while, but at the same time, I don't want to tell somebody that it's going to take you a while to start podcasting because you can do it in the matter of a couple of weeks. It's going to take you a few weeks at least because you got to get the podcast start together. You have to figure out how your recording gear is, unless you're a musician and you have it already or a streamer, and you happen to have it already. So it is going to take some time, but yeah. So you mentioned how you started. Mm. Let's then go into how your show has improved. So how has your podcasting, not just your show, but how has your podcasting improved since you started? Oh, 
I would say in many ways, a quite almost immeasurably. So for me, I did not have any background in AV at all. Like I said, I didn't really make that connection with it, even though I had been around <laughs> great audio and, you know, being the son of a musician, you would think there would have been some kind of leg up, and certainly not in my case. So it's improved in a number of ways. Let me, let me give you this idea just in terms of scope. And so, for example, something that I was, we used initially Source Connect Now as the form of the medium that we were using in terms of recording the audio ourselves being permanently re remote. So for you who's not familiar with AD history or is not familiar with my esteemed co-host Patrick Foote, he lives and works in Southern England. And you know, we haven't been in the same country for quite some time. And so one of the things that we were quite fortunate about is I happened to stumble upon Source Connect Now, which was free, and it really helped us out. And while you could just record right onto there, my whole thing was getting the sound out through the mixer and then into a digital audio recorder and making sure we did it on separate tracks. And so one of the first things that we had an issue with was the fact that I was using a Zoom H4n, which doesn't have multi-track recording, <laughs> which was not exactly what you want in this case. In addition to the fact, just kind of given the way things had worked in the system that we were using, they were not properly aligned from the start. So I wanted to make it so, I mean, yeah, you can just do the whole clap and then, you know, line up the spikes on the audio waveform. I wanted to get it so that we would be recording on separate tracks that were properly aligned from the very start. And that was the first thing, <laughs> you know, where we start in terms of, you know, the very beginning at zero to where today now, you know, we're doing it in a fully edited video form. And there's a few things, though, that are worth noting. I'll move away from the technical. I want to mention about the content because I think this is really important for you who's aspiring to do this sort of thing, especially when you're working with a co-host is that even if you're working with somebody that is you have a tremendous rapport with, and like I said, you get along with like a, a house on fire, that's very still very long way from having a true chemistry and rapport that is reflected behind the microphone. It takes time to get there, and a, quite a bit of time if you want to get really good at it. If you were to listen to the first episode of 80 History, which at the time, based on the experience we had in that medium, you know, it was fine. It was pretty good. I mean, but we knew we could do a heck of a lot better. And over time, it was a matter of doing it again and again and again. And you might not even believe this if I told you, SP, because we can hardly believe it, is that entire first season, we were just using source connect now for whatever reason we just didn't do the video link to see each other and boy we started doing that at the beginning of the second season and the difference that made so you know there's always that latency when you're dealing with online recording and another just minor side note for whoever is considering going into this don't use skype or google meet or anything like that for the audio that's going into the show there are far better options out there especially if you're using an Ethernet cable, try to avoid the Wi-Fi in order to do that, in order to get that studio quality sound. But 
So when we got the visual there, that certainly improved things. But in addition to that, there was also a, a distinct preparation element to it, which is to say we began enhancing and evolving how we were constructing our show notes and really working off a master set and reading through a first edition of what our notes are. And then in the notes, you know, we'll put in some like perspective questions based on our interpretation of what the other person has down there. And we'll point in like, hey, here's a question that I really want you to answer. Things that can kind of help focus the mind and help focus the conversation when you get to game time. Very important, very useful. In addition to that, it's just simply the matter of time. Anybody that you know, and especially if you're working together in, in this kind of way, that can only be developed through time and commitment to the medium. So you look at episode one and you compare it to one of our most recent episodes at the end of season four, there is a clear difference in the quality and evolution of the behind the mic rapport that goes into it. In addition to that, and this is also something that's interesting, in my life and my career, and this is something I've been adamant about and have worked on in one form or another for certainly all of my adult life, is I've done a great deal of public speaking. And there was a conceit in my mind going into podcasting, and I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm an accomplished public speaker. This should be obviously reflected behind the microphone. And that is true in so far as it goes because when you're public speaking in my experience it's something that i really do love it's a fantastic thing i know a lot of people fear it apparently some more than death itself but i'm not one of those people and i came very quickly to realize that yes there are some commonalities there but they are two distinctly separate experiences and skills because as the public speaker in a full room, there's a symbiotic relationship between you, the speaker, and the audience. And you're always, obviously, tailoring what you're doing to the audience and the occasion, naturally. But there's that symbiotic relationship where you are feeding energy into them, they are returning it to you, and more importantly, you can see what you're doing and the effect that it is having on the room. And in podcasting, even in a live stream, such as this one, and you look at the chat and if anybody puts it there, somebody asks questions, it's still not the same thing. You know, it's this ineffable energy and experience that go into it that while there are crossovers, they're entirely different things. And that took me a little time to figure out, though it helps having the podcast. But as far as the co-host, that just takes time to do it well. On the technical side, I was mentioning to you about how I've learned so much from YouTube. And I can't emphasize enough to anybody that is going into this how great of a resource that is. People like, for example, someone you've had on your show before, Andrew Scott over there at podcasting, uh, podcasters, I should say, and his really, truly excellent Sunday night podcast, the BSP, the Bandrew Says Podcast. A great experience. I, I hope that continues to grow because he's, he's absolutely phenomenal behind the camera and the microphone. Somebody like Mike Delgadio, who is an excellent, insight into the world of voiceover and voiceover and podcasting have so many commonalities that you learn from somebody like that and there's a lot to learn somebody else that i absolutely have to call a shout out to who i call the 
production profit of YouTube, of course, is Curtis Judd. You know, Curtis Judd is just absolutely not just amazing information, but an amazing guy. He gives so much high quality information away purely for free. And this is a guy who is also as well selling courses, you know, on top of that. And given the fact he's coming up, I think, on 200,000 subscribers, he still will take the time to respond to a question of hers, even if it is on a video that he released two years ago, in addition to doing a number of weekly live streams. Or I even remember a time when he was using my old mixer, the Mackie 802 VLZ4, and I was mentioning, hey, you know, do they have kind of noisy preamps? At least mine did. Is that the same with yours? And he's like, well, you know, there's probably a few dozen people there watching. Here, let me test out with you for you. Let, let's see. He takes the time to do that for you just because you act, you know, asked right in the middle of his live stream. And so I've used a lot of that information to improve it. And over time, just better understanding that one, and this is something I could never have known throughout without experience, was first off with audio, capture it right properly at the time. Because if somebody is telling you, fix it in post, put that on your grave. <laughs> you know, it, once, once you get to that point, your options are, are minimal. And two, just a spoonful of sugar will make the medicine go down in terms of your approach. And take that time for it to learn it. And so when I look at my show, I look foremost on the rapport and how that's improved. I also think how we tell our, you know, communicate our history and the topics we've chosen has improved. And on top of that, and this is something that's just taken time, the quality of gear that we're using that is most appropriate. So in the case of Patrick, he started out using a Blue Yeti, which for our purposes really was not the thing he should be using and, and not in the space that he was doing. And there were a lot of hard surfaces. It was a rectangular room and he was pretty much in the corner. And so, you know, there's a lot of issues dealing with that. So a lot of my education and experience actually surrounds the fact that I've been trying to figure out the process of how to mitigate reverb in that case. Reverb is one of my huge pet peeves. And so over time, he and I have just done a tremendous amount of learning and the quality of the sound itself has improved. It's a warmer sound now. The levels are better. Luckily, we discovered the concept of luffs and proper normalization. So at this point, I really do feel that the sound has improved to probably about as well as it can, you know, short of my going out and getting Isotope RX Advanced and just the general approach of he and I together and the dedication that we've taken to putting it in together. And just in regards to preparation, AD History is a very difficult show to produce on the content side because the way we want to do this is we want it to be something that can be accessible to anybody but at the same time also taking a very responsible and detail-oriented approach to history so finding a way to marry something that is truly meant for everybody to enjoy, regardless of what their disposition and interest in history may be, and also making sure that it is super solid in terms of the sources that we're using and that it's detail-oriented, and it very much speaks to our greater goal of 
choosing these topics that we feel make concrete contributions to the world we know today, even if it happened 2,000 years ago, and making it not just digestible, but something people genuinely enjoy. On top of the fact, I think there's something very powerful about a very well-hosted, well, I should say co-hosted program. Because I know this from experience, especially when I talk about sports talk radio. Some of my favorite programs were co-hosted. And in addition to the fact that I'm interested in what they're talking about, over time, because they have such a tremendously genuine rapport, that they almost become your friend, even though they have no idea who you are. And the idea that over time, are, you know, a longtime listener will feel like they are in the room with us and with a pair of friends of theirs that because if you do the co-hosting right and that it's truly authentic to the nature of the relationship the co-hosts share, the listener is going to pick up on that and enjoy the program all the more. So I think those are probably some of the biggest elements to be sure. Yeah. Just a few, you know, no, no <laughs> thought went into that whatsoever. I just want to throw a couple of highlights in there as far as the chemistry goes. Steven and I have talked about it before. Sure. We had podcasted together before for years before we started Better Podcasting, yeah. two, three years. We still had to find our groove within the first like 10 or so episodes. I say, I think mm. around 20 or so, we finally got into our normal groove. It was just difficult going into a different situation taking that rapport that we had already had largely with a third or a fourth co-host and then just going down just to the two of us. It took us a minute to do that. So <laughs> episode one of Better Podcasting is very different than episode 250. I know the feeling. You almost cringe sometimes, you know, when I look back at my stuff, I'm like, oh God, I could we could have done so much better, you know, but that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. And as far as the... YouTube University, I will call it. Mm. I use it all the time. Mm. I'm grateful that it exists. Mm -hmm. I am cringing for the time that that Library of Alexandria gets burned and goes away because <laughs> it is so much of a resource right now. Yeah. I, I do cringe. It's like either their servers are going to melt down or the internet's going to collapse or we're not going to have any power anymore because of some solar flare or something. And then all that yeah, knowledge yeah, will go away. Yeah, so... It is an incredible resource. You can't find everything. And then there could be some things that are intentionally put in there that are wrong, but then the algorithm will pick that up over time and you won't have to worry about it. So, but yeah, it's an incredible resource for DIYers, hobby podcasters, or people starting anything like me, rebuilding an engine. Sure. So talking about gear. Of course. Your gear, your audio gear. Can yeah. you run down it really quickly for our listeners? Sure. I'm going to get to the microphone last. So in terms of interface, I'm actually using, uh, I'm using a mixer. It is the Soundcraft Signature 12 MTK. Love it. Perfect for what I do, especially doing all the recording, including Patrick's stuff, which we now do through CleanFeed Pro, directly into Logic. And so I'm using the Mac Mini M1, which has the 16 gigs of unified memory, you know, whatever you, might, whatever you want to make, it, uh, make of that. Cans are Sennheiser, was it HD 280, something like that. You know, classic closed back headphones for podcasting. I'm using, as far as the headphone amp, the AKG 
HP12U, which I love. It's perfect. I had a smaller one that was made by Samson that I picked up maybe three years ago, and it kicked out on me about a year ago. It was fine for what it was. It was 70 bucks at the time. On top of that, I also have the Elgato Stream Deck, which is just an amazing device, to be sure. As far as the microphone goes, that kind of turned into its own kind of hobby. So right here, I'm using one of the classics of, of talk radio, which, of course, is the Electro Voice RE20. But I didn't start out using this. In fact, the first couple of episodes of AD History, I was using a Shure Super 55, a dynamic microphone. Then, quite generously, my father actually gave me a gift, which was the exact microphone I believe you're using right now, the 320. But it didn't end there. Then I kind of got it into my head, like, you know what? I really do need a, a proper second mic. I, the Super 55, I wasn't... It has issues in terms of the talk. Much better on stage. And I, you know, I get the Shure SM7, which is something that has become so fetishized at this point. <laughs> you know, great microphone, works on a lot of voices, but a lot of people who buy it just buy it because, oh, well, you know, X, Y, and Z creator has it, so that's the one that I need. That it's become a status symbol, you know. Let's be clear on that. However, it's something that sounds really great on my wife's voice, who has her own content creation stuff that she, interestingly enough, does anonymously, so I won't go too much into detail on that. And then, of course, it doesn't stop there, <laughs> SP. I have the Earthworks Icon Pro, which I adore. The Blue Baby Bottle SL. Tremendous microphone. Very warm. Very nice. Let's see. I also have for example, I have a TLM-103, which is really a wonderful microphone on the condenser side of things. Another one that actually I came into, I actually won this recently. Are you familiar? It's a small channel, but it is an audio-focused channel called Audio Haze. Just kind of reached 10,000. Okay. Well, he was celebrating very recently the accomplishment of getting to 10,000 subscribers. And so he decided to do a giveaway. And as you know, for these audio channels that do reviews, once they get large enough, these companies start reaching out to them to review new products that they have. And basically the arrangement more or less is that we will give you this piece of gear more often than not give, depending on how expensive it is, I'm sure. And would you make a review on it and we'll send it to you? We have no ex expectation of getting it back. Though I think legally that you can't, guarantee that you're going to do it and that they have no editorial oversight. And so for him, he had collected a bunch of stuff, maybe like a dozen different pieces that he knew that he didn't need, but he wanted to celebrate and give back to the folks who had subscribed to him that got him to this point. And so the number one prize he had you, when you entered, you rank what you wanted. What's your first choice? And my first choice was the Austrian Audio OC18. I'm sure you're familiar with this thing at this point. And he said, the drawing will be in 10 days or two weeks, whatever it was. And so I decided to throw my hat into the ring. I've been watching him for a while. Great, great small channel. Well, two weeks later, much to my surprise, I get an email that says, congratulations, you've won the Austrian Audio OC18. And I remember I was looking at it on my phone. I was sitting up in bed. My wife was next to me. And I said, oh, my God. I said, what, what, what? I can't believe it. What is it? I won the Austrian Audio OC18. 
and just a phenomenal microphone. It's incredible. I couldn't believe it. How lucky was I? Who wins stuff like that, right? And, you know, he was just a class act. He sent it to me on his own dime and truly an amazing microphone. So I have kind of a fetish for microphones myself. And I've used a number of different ones over time. I've kind of, I don't remember, I can't even recall all, all the ones I have at this point. The point is, in doing 80 history, I've used a number of different mics. I can probably at this point do an entire season not using the same mic. But this one I'm using right here, the Electro Voice RE20, is the one that I've fallen in love with as a daily driver. I feel it works best for my voice. It fits my situation perfectly. And I enjoy the Electro Voice sound because it is so. You know, it's the best of radio. It really is. And for example, your 320, I mean, just out of the box, it has a ideal spoken word sound, even though it obviously also has the ability to use it for kick drum recording, you know? So I've kind of developed my own little hobby in, in collecting there because I, I love them. They're truly incredible. They all offer something different. And for me, my thinking is that you know, in terms of gear, whether it's microphones, interface, whatever the case might be, you're always kind of making the analysis between dollars spent and obvious improvements in, in, the, in quality. And as far as the RE20 is concerned, at least on my voice, it could not be better. I adore this microphone. It's my Desert Island microphone, simply put. <laughs> That's awesome. So I got three things for you. First of all, I've mm. redone my entire podcast studio this year with the one exception of a microphone, which is what the one thing I said I was going to do this year. And I was going to get the RE20. So I can't wait until I finally get that. You, you got that Rodecaster Pro 2, didn't you? I got the Rodecaster Pro 2. I got a new computer. I got an ultra wide monitor. I got a programmable mouse. I've got a new camera, a 4K camera. So yeah, I've redesigned my entire space. Except for the microphone. <laughs> that is the one thing that I wanted to do this year, but I did everything else. And uh, we'll do a gear episode at the end of the year for better podcasting. Then Stephen talks about his gear. I'll talk about my gear. We both have a story to tell this year. We've done it since we started better podcasting in 2015. So you see the progression of our studios and what we've done. We've literally come from hobbyists doing like $20 microphones all the way up to $1,000 type studios. So that's number one with the microphone. Number two, I'm sure you'll enjoy this since you have a Super 55. Mm. I had a co-host which was really into steampunk. And about the time okay. that we were ending our podcast, it was coming up on Christmas that final year. I got her, and this came out, a Unidyne 5575LE, which is basically a retro Super 55, yeah. right? It was a one-year limited edition and I got a hold of one and I sent it to her and her husband is also a podcaster and he understands the value of the microphone. So they only dig it up when she's actually doing a podcast and she loves her steampunk. So it's the one thing that she uses. I kind of cringe, but I'm not editing her stuff because the reverb on that is just immense. Yeah. It's almost like a condenser microphone. Oh, so that's number two. Number three is with that OC18, you took out an insurance policy on it, right? Oh, goodness gracious. Yes. It's one of my absolutely treasured possessions now. You know, it's interesting because I'm sure if anybody, you listening right now, may have an idea of the whole lineage of Austrian audio, which is basically the twin of Lewitt, how the AKG manufacturing in Austria 
was closed down after AKG was acquired by Samsung, and then Samsung moved the production to East Asia. I think it's both South Korea and, and China, I would, I would imagine. But of course, you have now all these unemployed engineers that have all this incredible experience from their time doing AKG, which, you know, is one of the standards in audio production, to be sure. And then, of course, you take the OC18, which had been like on my aspirational list of microphones to acquire at some point, which I, I keep a repository of, to be sure. And so the closest sound that it has is, of course, the, uh, what is it, the C414. And the way I remember hearing Ricky describe the 1.8, so the 1.8 and the 8.1.8 are using the same capsule, but the OC 1.8 is just a single cardioid. The 8.1.8 is more expensive, but has a bunch of, of various polar patterns. And in addition to that, you also have the fact that you can tailor them both at the time and afterwards, and it's connected with an app. I don't need any of that. But the capsule in a cardioid fashion for what I do just it couldn't be better and it's interesting because for me i consider every bit the equal of the the tlm 103 that's sitting over there the only thing is that because it doesn't have the name neumann attached to it it doesn't have the neumann tax attached to it but for every way that matters it really does seem as if it has improved on that classic c414 capsule and austrian audio and i get the feeling just given how high the quality they are Give it a decade, assuming something, you know, economically disastrous doesn't happen and they're going to be batting in the big leagues. There's no question about it. It's just that remarkable of a microphone and, you know, good on them for, you know, basically turning lemons into lemonade and creating their own company. Lewitt, very much the same thing. So gear is definitely important. I'm not going to pretend that it isn't important, but for you who is aspiring, Certainly, don't feel discouraged because you're not coming in with the most muscular setup. Working with what you have is very important. Anytime somebody asks me that that's going when or wants to go into podcasting for the first time, and they ask me for suggestions on gear, I tell them something that's really important. One is a lot of articles you'll read online about starting a podcast for reasons that still leave me dumbfounded suggest that you get a condenser microphone which you just want to slap you know whoever wrote that because they're, they're so sensitive and most people are just not recording in an anechoic chamber they live in the real world and the fact that they want to use something that's so sensitive that would pick up everything is utterly ridiculous but so i'll tell them dynamic go out and get a samson q2u it's under 100 bucks combo usb and xlr and i always make sure to say it is always a good idea to invest in the XLR because when you're doing the, the USB microphone, there are some decent ones out there, but strategically speaking, over the long run, it is not a good purchase because you are absolutely chained to it. And that having a, you know, a good, affordable audio interface using the XLR is the way to go because it gives you the chance to expand if you so choose. It is dynamic. And other than a slight sibilant quality that you can kind of take care of with a decent de-esser, it will definitely serve your needs right off the bat. On top of the fact, always make sure to get a good pair of closed back headphones. And then you're going to be right along your way, where you're going to be addressing all of the fundamental needs 
you have to have to do it right in addition to learning editing and whatnot. But most importantly, it will ensure that the audience is focused on the thing you want them to be focused on, which is the content, because content is king. And more than anything, the quality of the gear and the technical quality in terms of how it sounds should always be never let the audio distract from the content. And you can do that in very affordable ways. Now, you and I, you know, we're, you know, we're very passionate about what we do. We always want to upgrade. And that's fair. You know, if it makes sense for you economically based on what you're doing, go for it. There are a lot of vices that are far more destructive, but you don't need to be going into a, you don't need to acquire, you know, WFAN here in New York City in order to sound the way you want to sound. You can do it affordably. You can do it well, especially if you take the time to learn your gear. Very important. And really understand getting the sound you want, capturing it properly in the right environment at the time, and then being able to tighten it up and, you know, do a little bit of this, a little bit of that in post-production. And believe you me, SP, and you know this as well as anybody, you're going to be good to go. If you could have told yourself one thing before you started podcasting, before you started preparing for podcasting, to make it easier for you to podcast long term, what do you think you would have told yourself? When was that? 2018, I guess, 2019 timeframe. Yeah, guys... 2019, I think, is probably the most. What would you have told yourself at the beginning of 2019? Interesting question. It's not an easy one to answer. So the first thing I would have told myself is that more importantly than anything content is king well production quality is extremely important what you're actually saying and the actual substance of the show is going to trumpet without a doubt two what else would i say to myself two be prepared to not be satisfied initially with what you're doing, that it really will take time. What you want, what you hear in your head, what you visualize is not something that's going to be a snap of the finger and you're going to be exactly where you need to be. In addition to that, definitely take, in terms of preparation, pretty much be jowl to jowl with your co host in regards to being fully on the same page in terms of exactly what you're trying to do in an episode. So that way, your conceptions of what you're going in and trying to do are very much in line, what, you know, whatever that might be. In addition to that, patience is very important. Now, Patrick and I have, were very fortunate, which is to say that we had established audiences in our respective spheres of work prior to doing the show together. So we never had to go through that period of having four or five listeners at the beginning. We had a respectable size audience, to be sure. In addition to that, and this is something that a lot of folks really can't understand about podcasting, because the figures are not out there for them to know, which is there's this expectation, especially if you are into YouTube where you'll see a video and it has tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, a million views on a particular video. 
and that podcasting is an entirely different experience to that, where I believe it was, I think it was Libsyn that came out with this particular stat, which is that to be in the top 50% of podcasting programs in the first, I want to say it was a five to seven days after release that if you get at least 25 downloads, that puts you in the top 50% of podcasts. At least you can correct me if I, if I haven't got that right, but it looks like you have something to say. Yeah. Lipson's uh, top Tom, Tom, Rob Walsh comes out with these stats and I haven't listened to him for a while. But he publishes them on the Feed podcast, which is a Lipson-based podcast. And he looks back at basically two months ago. So he gives everything about 45 days from the first of the month through like the 15th of the next month. And the key stat that he's looking at is the downloads over the first first 30 days, really, is what he's looking at. And he is then doing a median and he's getting rid of like the top 1% or top 3% and the bottom 3% or whatever it is. I can't remember the exact, but I do remember it is roughly around the median for 50% is roughly around 150 downloads per episode over 30 days. That is the stat. And then Buzzsprout has also come out with stats as well and they're roughly equivalent. So it is a good metric to use. So kind of like in that kind of ballpark, it's much smaller than you would anticipate, to be sure, especially if you're comparing it against the YouTube perspective. In addition to that, the nature of the connection that you make with your audience is very different. Even in long form YouTube videos, the connection a lot of times between audience and creator is not nearly as strong and intimate as it is in a podcast, especially when you're talking on the audio-only side, that you can have, say, a hundred consistent listeners, but they're very dedicated to you and what you're doing. The, the, there's an emotional connection in as much as there's an intellectual one between creator and listener, which I think is really profound, to be sure. That's huge. Another thing I would mention on top of that is when you're doing a show is be careful of over editing. And what I mean by that is obviously you look to get rid of crutch words or sounds, ums, you knows, that kind of thing. And one of the most important ways in terms of not over editing it is training yourself not to do it in the first place. But it's really important to allow for the host, or in our case, co-host, to have their humanity come through. Which is to say, if there is a funny part or something maybe you didn't say quite right, or you know whatever the case may be, or where you're just having fun, that it is something that you should absolutely 100% include. Now, not something that is terribly off-color or something that you wouldn't want to say outside of the water closet, but something where it's clear that you are having fun. Even if it's a a serious show, and AD History is a serious show, 
but we don't take ourselves too seriously, making that kind of distinction there. And where even in all you're doing, that, that humanity still comes through, that at the end of the day, we are just, we're a couple of guys doing a show, and that we're not different than you, and that it's not just us as presenters, because, you know, there's the, the presenter's face, but where that humanity indeed comes through, which is absolutely, entirely enormous. And just kind of getting over the, the fear of just exposing yourself too much, that eventually just kind of let it fly. And on top of that, the show will evolve in its own way, both in ways that you intend and ways that are just kind of an organic outgrowth of what it is you're doing. And don't be afraid to adapt and expand. And that good ideas are not all there necessarily right up front at the beginning. You know, they take time. And, you know, with good communication and planning between you and the co-host, in my case, co-host, that a lot of really cool things can and will happen over time that are not necessarily part of the equation when you start. And on top of it all, really, there is, for us, we're not just delivering history. In many respects, we are also storytellers. So uh, when it comes to history, something that I like to say is history without context is just a story pretty bad one at that but still it is in essence in many respects storytelling in addition to the intellectual conversation that is happening and the questions that come about that truly bring the audience into it where you're setting the scene and you're giving them a very clear picture of the world and the circumstances in which the topic you are discussing really does sit and that at the end of the day you are telling a story to them and a story that you want to bring into them so practice in my case if you're doing a history podcast that's somewhat similar to 80 history do research and take time to become a better storyteller that's a huge thing because history is the greatest story that's ever told it's the story of us it's the story of us. And when you have the ability to marry storytelling to doing good history with a solid intellectual approach, that really is, I would say, in many cases, a, I hate to say brave, but in many, unafraid of what it is that you're getting into and recognizing that, bring in all the details, but being able to tell them a good and most importantly, accurate story that can take you a very, very long way. In addition to the fact that how you use your voice, how you are painting that picture of the world it happens in is worth its weight in gold. And don't undersell that. You know, with all the details, all the stuff that's going on at the end of the day in the history side of things is you do have to become an accomplished storyteller. That's True with just about every podcaster out there. You said content is king to start out. I would yeah. say storytelling is part of that king of 
content right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. So, m- moving on, you've been podcasting for, what, three years now? So, we launched, I think, the middle of August of 2019. So, roughly about three and a half years since the first time it dropped. As you're looking around you, increasing your span, increasing your YouTube reach, your podcasting reach, you're taking a look at the space around you, the industry around you for streaming, for podcasting, for storytelling and the history. Specifically with the podcasting industry, you probably did some peripheral dives into that. Is there anything as a three and a half year old podcaster with the podcasting industry that kind of bugs you that you wish you could fix if you were king for a day? (laughs) Want to be king for more than one day, I tell you. But yeah, of course. So in this case, and this is not going to be something new, and we all, for the most part, understand why. In terms of the big names, the Apple Podcasts, the Spotify, it is at best at times irritating that they seem to all be pushing the exact same shows, even multiple categories. And there's very little opportunity for just the run of the mill listener to really find your stuff on if you're just on those platforms specifically that's where you get it from at the end of the day assuming they don't go and search for a particular topic in on those directories or platforms and you happen to show up so that is definitely annoying but in no way uncommon what i would definitely say is that's the biggest gripe But what I would say, because this also comes down in terms of a peripheral topic in regards to promotion, how do you get people to even find your stuff, which is the thing that most podcasters get so annoyed with. And, you know, the the classic take on that is social media. Make sure you have a strong social media, you know, presence. And I'm actually a little, I'm not huge on social media. I'm of the age where when I first discovered Facebook, it was still a college-only platform back in the wild, wild west days of Facebook, back when it was fun, <laughs> back when it was, okay, I need to remove, before I need to remove that so I can get a job. Um, and so places like Facebook are extremely annoying because as you are well aware, you can have a page for your show. And you can have people that choose to follow that page, but face, that's not good enough for Facebook. You know, you don't get to the updates from a page just because you decided to follow it. Facebook also makes sure that you, the owner of that page, are also shelling out money to them in order to get that pushed out to the very people who decided to follow it and are following it, which is annoying and basically criminal. But right now, Zuckerberg's getting his own. So, you know, a little bit of cosmic karma there but what i would say that to in this peripheral topic and this is something i cannot emphasize enough outside of the social media the thing that is absolutely most important that will take you the furthest to help circumvent those kind of irritations that come around is having your digital infrastructure well designed to take advantage of search engine optimization SEO for podcasting is not nearly as discussed a topic as it should be. Now, in the case of AD History, we've been very fortunate because 
AD history falls under the TGNR content umbrella. And so we've had the benefit of being able to leverage the SEO capabilities of TGNR in order to get the stuff out. So for example, when we publish an episode, that episode also shows up because it's done in an article, like all these things are with the RSS feed. It's going to show up in Google News because it's under the umbrella of TGNR. Or if you're using WordPress, which I strongly encourage, and for those of you that are just starting out, you know, you'll go to a hosting provider and they'll give you that free website. Usually those things are not that great. And you don't even, you have to still go out and get the unique URL. First off, always make sure you control the URL for your, for your show, even if you don't end up using it. So one of the first things we made sure of, even though we weren't using it and still aren't, that we hold the rights for 80historypodcast.com. You know, don't leave that to chance because believe me, if you do end up becoming popular and you don't control that, some other jerk is going to probably try and go out and take it and try to hold it hostage. That's a very real thing. So, in the case of podcasters, I would very much recommend one, use WordPress. Two, come up with a good name that is easy to search, not too common because it'll get drowned out by other stuff, where you put it into a search engine, you're going to find it pretty easily. And that the site you're using is very well designed for SEO. You know, for example, WordPress.com in our case, since we're under the TGNR umbrella, it uses the WordPress business plan. So we get all the benefits and flexibility and freedom that comes with WordPress.org with all of the wonderful support and features that come with WordPress.com. And one of the things that I would very strongly recommend, either in the free version or the premium version, is a plugin known as Yoast SEO, which helps you optimize both your site and individual articles so that they best conform to what Google and all of its niche competitors are doing at that point in time. So that way, people can more easily find you, which is extremely important. It's worth the time getting to learn and investing some money in that especially if you know this is something you want to do long-term and that, you know, you're really investing in, to be sure. Because if the search engine is doing a lot of help for you, that's a big deal. In addition to that, YouTube. YouTube is a really important thing. It works on its own circuit because you're not doing it from the RSS feed, to be sure. But having those episodes available there even if it's audio only, which I don't necessarily recommend because YouTube can be very, very harsh when it comes to static images with audio only, but still very good, especially if you are doing it. If it's not entire episodes, using it where you are publishing clips from episodes where you can bring in people, get them hooked. Now, however you might feel about him, Rogan definitely set the tone on that that really helped it grow quite organically. In addition to the fact, one of the great things about YouTube, even from a podcast side, and podcasting and YouTube, even if it's video podcasting, are just the strangest of bedfellows, especially right now with YouTube basically in Cola Wars 2.0, where they're at a fight to the death, you know, basically two, you know, a knife fight in a phone booth between them and TikTok, and they're very much emphasizing shorter videos. But still, 
having just those short clips of really interesting, engaging parts of episodes that you have released can be worth its weight in gold, to be sure. That and YouTube, when you're utilizing it correctly, can do a lot of promotion work for you. You know, there are times when the algorithm can be very, very helpful. And also understanding there's a whole SEO component to that. The world's second largest search engine is also owned by the world's largest search engine. And so utilize YouTube because it's going to take you a long way. But if you're just doing stuff on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and Instagram actually, oddly enough, being the best of the three in many cases for podcasting, don't, I, I feel like in many times they have been overemphasized. But a good SEO approach and releasing small clips, especially onto YouTube of recent episodes, is by far the best way to overcome that gripe, to be sure. So when I have gripes, the first thing I have asked myself is, what can we do to circumvent that? So it's kind of my answering your question, then answering a follow-up question you haven't asked. So my apologies there. Oh, let me ask you this question, SP. Go for it. What is your take on this? What is your biggest gripe or several biggest gripes when it comes to this sort of thing? My biggest gripe with the podcasting industry is that they assume going in that everybody wants to grow their podcast and become Joe Rogan, Mm. which means that everybody's in a fight to monetize. Everybody's in a fight for the same 50,000 listeners. Everybody's in a fight to get the best gear to use the latest software, to go to all the professional podcast conferences. In short, they are cutting off the hobby podcaster. And that's why we have better podcasting is to service the hobby podcaster to say, it's okay to start with a Samsung QTU. You don't need an Electrovoice RE20 to start. Yeah, you would love it, but in a lot of cases, you wouldn't know how to use it and you might misuse it. So it would be better to start with lower quality, lower price gear, and then work your way up just as you're learning. And like the SEO tips, those are like, okay, you got to have an email list. That's a, that's another big thing. You yeah. Have we an don't email do list. that. I mean, <laughs> I don't, I've never really, people talk about how great it is. I'm sure it is, but it just seems like a lot of extra work that doesn't for us, doesn't really feel like it would yield the kind of results we want based on the effort we'd be putting in. So that's my biggest gripe with the podcasting industry is they're not really hobby podcaster friendly, even with the hobby podcasters that actually do good shows that just aren't at the level of breaking the 10,000 listener per episode where they can monetize love right there. I think Patreon and other crowdfunding things have gone a long way to close the gap a little bit. So sure. you can get started. You can get some headway. You can get to the point where ultimately, if you want to be Joe Rogan, you can have a competing chance at being Joe Rogan, but it's going to take you a little bit to get there, especially if you don't have another platform to start with. Say you're, I don't know, Brie Larson, you know, take it or leave it. You can love her, hate her, whatever, but she I, does uh, yeah. have a big audience, right? She does so she that. could go into podcasting. She created her own YouTube channel. I remember, yeah. She could go into podcasting and instantly be able to monetize that. Whereas Joe Blow, who's just out of high school, is not going to be able to get there because just doesn't have the same purview. You said three things in there that I want to double tap. First of all, SEO, 
We talked about that with Miss Cadabra, or I talked about that with Miss Cadabra a couple episodes ago. Offline, during the podcast, I talked to her about it. I talked to her a little bit about afterwards. We're going to have her back in a couple episodes, and we're going to go over how she's implemented some of the SEO solutions and how that's impacted her podcast already. So that's something that's coming up on this show. And then as far as YouTube goes, putting an MP3 stat with a static image on YouTube, to get into the search engine, you're not really counting on the MP3 there. You're counting on using YouTube as a blog feature and Uh the search engine coming in there. So you have to have a good description. You have to have a good title. You have to have good hashtags at the bottom that can fight. If you want your video to get traction, you're going to have to have some sort of dynamic video. The sort of talking head video that we're doing right here, the type of stuff that we do on Better Podcasting, the type of stuff that you do on AD History, that's like the minimum level of dynamic video in order to get into the algorithm. Yeah. So there is a difference. Talking about SEO, yes, getting your post up basically with your MP3 with a static image Mm. is a start. But all that is doing is getting you into the Google or YouTube search algorithm. I think they're one and the same, but get Uh into that. That's all that's doing. And if you don't have a lot of traction, if you don't have a lot of the good keywords, if you don't have a lot of engagement, it's going to be like a good one-time hit or a hit over a couple months. And then Uh that SEO is going to go away from you. Absolutely. you're going to have to do something else. And maybe you want to start adding dynamic video. We do dynamic video on better podcasting. Like you said at the start, because it gives us a visual cue to go back and forth as we're talking. We're not going to over speak each other like we would if it was audio only. I've done some discord recordings on other people's podcasts and I have to remind myself I can't just jump in. I have to sit back and wait to be invited into the conversation. So I'm not over talking anybody. And with video, there is a whole bunch of cues that goes away or uh, comes into play that then makes it so it's easier to edit and it's a better flowing show as it goes. So anyway, that's my take on SEO and the YouTube video. As far as the URL, just to get it out in the open, I did buy StephenTheCanadianSucks.com and I've redirected (laughs) it to a MySpace page that has bears drinking maple syrup. So very important to uh, troll your co-hosts like that. that. That is a sense of humor that is dry as burnt toast. I love it, my friend. Well, when you podcast with a Canadian, you got to kind of do stuff like that. Fair enough. And the last question I'm going to ask you tonight is what is one, if you could pick just one, and I'm only asking you for one, I don't want 12, I don't want 15, just one that comes to mind. What is one of the favorite moments? It doesn't even have to be the best favorite moments, but what is one of the favorite moments that you can remember from AD History Podcast? So we were doing an episode, I believe it was actually episode four. We were going into Caligula. There's a name of infamy in history, which for those who are not familiar, Caligula was a nickname from his childhood. You know, he was Gaius Julius. You know, he, he was part of the Claudio, Juli, Judo, uh, you know, Julian Claudio dynasty. It wasn't his actual name. It actually means like little boot. And something that he picked up because he was living with Germanicus and his wife. 
out on campaign and Germanicus was basically Rome's Alexander the Great. He's like the equivalent of the now Prince of Wales, William Windsor, and his wife was basically Kate Middleton. And to history, he's known as Little Boot, <laughs> to be sure. And he's obviously infamous in history because of how he's portrayed. Is like a real loose cannon that was all over the place and could be very, very vicious. You know, he only ruled for about four years before his Praetorian Guard murdered him. And we had a guest on the show who had, who has a a very uh, extensive background in psychology and neuroscience, who also happened to be the founder and editor-in-chief of TGNR. So having her on made a lot of sense because we were talking about the actual psychological state of Caligula and what we could make of it. And there was a point where we were talking about his uncle. Was it? Yeah, I think it was his uncle. Yeah, who was Tiberius. And Tiberius was the successor to Augustus. And Augustus is basically the gold standard for Roman emperors in the imperial era. He basically built what that meant ad hoc. And so after Tiberius was finished killing off a lot of his family members after Germanicus had died, he decided to make Caligula his successor. And Tiberius is a very strange guy. He was basically ruling by proxy on the island of Capri because he hated Rome so much. He would just send his edicts from there. And he decided to basically rear the boy when he came of age in preparation of this role. And we were talking, and we were talking about the, ver the incredible debauchery that was known to go on during Tiberius's time on Capri. And just out of nowhere, and he beat it to me by a second, which is to say, we were both about to say, but he got to me, got it to it first by half a second, which is what happens on Capri stays on Capri. And it was just one of those very natural moments of us just doing the show and where it was so clear, it was a lot of fun. And just the reaction was so human. And apparently it really resonated with our listeners as well. Because as soon as my mouth was moving, it just comes right through my headphones. And it's just, you know, just one of those moments where you're both there and it's funny, funny as hell. And, and that, I would say, is probably one of my truly favorite moments in it because it, it was so human. It was so funny. And it, it really showed who Patrick and I are as friends, not just co-hosts, not just as colleagues, but it was very much a unintentional way that we ended up connecting with the audience in a fun way, in a very serious conversation that you couldn't have planned beforehand. <laughs> it was just something that happens, and it was wonderful, and it clearly resonated with the audience who enjoyed it in exactly the way we did. So, you know, there's no overstating how cool that was as far as I'm concerned. You've cultivated the audience you deserve. You know, that's funny. In many ways that you do end up cultivating the audience you deserve in many, many ways. And, you know, we've gone a lot of, 
a lot of ways to do that, especially the ground rules at the beginning, which for me, and I'm not going to go too far on this point, but one of the big reasons I wanted to do a history podcast is because I really felt as if history, especially in the present, had been so popularly mishandled where you're not evaluating history and treating it, and this is, one of, this is the last ground rules, that history and the past, and let's be clear about this, history and the past are two different things. The past is what happened, and it's unrecoverable. It's un, you can't recreate it. And history is the study of it and how we understand it, of course, which evolves over time. And that there was a lot of looking back at history and judging it based on modern conceptions of morality and values and, you know, oh, this is bad. And, you know, 2,000 years ago, they weren't doing this thing that we, we now value. And this is bad. And that's about as far as it goes. And that always profoundly bothered me because it totally misses the point. Yeah, it's pretty obvious when something happens in history that it's bad. You know, that's not, any, you know, some profound revelation. But if you want to understand it, if you want to learn from it, analyze it and investigate it within the context of that world. It is a foreign country. When you go and visit a foreign country, if you're being fair and relatively objective, do you go there and look at things and say, oh, this is horrible based on how we choose to live our life. I'm not talking about things necessarily when it comes to various elements of society. You know, you take that or you leave that. But in reality, for a lot of customs and a lot of elements of culture, are you just going to be a jackass and show up and be like, oh, this is bad because of X, Y, and Z, and this is how I do business? You may feel that way. You know, you certainly may not want to go and adopt this as terms of way of life. But if you want to understand it, if you want to take away the most salient and important elements of that experience, you have to take it on their terms because it's not your world. And understanding that it fits in a very specific time and place that makes it as such. Because I think it was worth in the Churchill, it may be an apocryphal story, but it very much still captures the reality of it. Some young man went and asked Winston Churchill what he should study in history. And his immediate reaction was, study history. All the secrets of statecraft and politics and everything that is genuinely important in this life, outside of the things that are really important personally, can all be found in a detailed and extensive study of history. And he's absolutely correct. So in going into that, it was very much something that was very much on our minds. So that's really a huge thing for us, to be sure. And that at the very beginning, and there's a reason these ground rules exist, is that we want to make sure that those, when it comes to the cultivating the audience you deserve, cut it off right at the head, right at the start, which is to say that if you don't like this sort of thing and you don't like how we're approaching it, you know at the very start how we're going to go about it. And, you know, if you want to gripe about it, well, okay, but we warned you. And if you have a problem with it, maybe you should have listened a little closer. And this is how we're going to go about it. And if you don't like it, there are plenty of other things you can listen to. Indeed. 
So we received some comments in the chat over the time since we've been recording. Oh, really? I want to respond to them a little bit. And the first one Ooh. was Liberty Dude from Liberty the podcastage. Dude. Yeah, I've, I, I've seen Liberty Dude before at the, the Friday night live streams for uh, Dark Quarter Studio. So Liberty Dude, very, very nice to make your acquaintance. He said the why one is recording content for release in a public space plays a major factor in how one's choices should inform what they will accept in producing such content. That was when you were talking about the why at the beginning. We also had a response from Cindy Fine, and she said, Love hearing the process from behind the scenes. You can tell AD History Podcast has a clear mission, and each episode follows a well-defined narrative. Oh, well. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I don't think we can receive a higher compliment than that, Cindy. That's awesome. Thank you. We also had another comment from Liberty Dude. Liberty he said, Dude. Podcastage, Dark Corner, Curtis Judge, Audio Haze, while on Better Podcasting Channel, we travel in similar circles. Absolutely. There's a reason I knew the name Liberty Dude as soon as I saw it. He definitely makes himself known in the best way. He makes these things a lot of fun. So, like I said, Liberty Dude, it's really great to meet your acquaintance in a way so yeah we definitely travel in similar circles the eldest bro also from the podcast age discord server said loving the roadcaster pro 2 you had mentioned that i had upgraded my roadcaster pro 2 so he yeah, said yeah, yeah. loving it it's funny as far as as far as the roadcaster pro 2 and this is also true of the one incredible machine no question about it it doesn't quite fit what i do but it's an incredible machine there's only one thing that i have that's an aesthetic thing that oddly enough kind of throws me off. And this is very much something that comes out of my generation as a kind of like generation X millennial kind of hybrid based on when I was born is that with the, the various soundboard on the side, the coloration there and the whole black, it kind of reminds me of that game. Simon. Do you remember Simon? Oh, yeah, the pads, the sound pads, definitely. Yeah, and that's always kind of thrown me off because it makes it, unfortunately, given uh, despite its incredible abilities, kind of makes it come off looking like a kid's toy, which I think is kind of unfortunate, but that is purely an aesthetic observation on my part. If you're going to spend money on a truly first-class interface mixer, which I believe actually has DSP in it, which is incredible, yeah, it's really awesome stuff. I mean, how are you enjoying it? I love it. It has replaced $2,000 worth of gear, actually about $2,500 worth of gear in my studio, which I was going to have to end up replacing anyway. And it replaced it at the low cost of around $800 instead. So I ended up saving a lot of money over it. You're saying that the sound pads look like the Simon game yeah. from back in the 80s. Yeah, it does. However, I will say that if you look at any DJ board, live DJ board, that's kind oh, yeah. of the feel and the look to it. So they just sure. stuck with that sort of live feel to it. And you can adjust the colors of all the lights. You can make it whatever light that you want to. Mm. And it works fine to customize it, basically, just like you would customize the background on your computer or your desktop on your computer. Question for you, though, SP. Yeah. When did you decide to totally, basically, overhaul your recording setup? Yeah, that's a long story. I'll give you the short version. Sure. I was only planning on doing the microphone this year, but before I got to that, what started to happen is my mixer and my DBX-286S started degrading to the point where I was noticing some artifacts in the recording. 
Okay. And so I'm like, okay, it's now I need to start looking at this sort of stuff. But I already knew I'd been paying attention for a couple of years. I already knew that the Rodecaster Pro original wasn't going to do it for me. I knew the Tascam Mixcast 4 wasn't going to do it for me. They all had limitations. I was I couldn't do it with them, whether it was the preamps or whether it was the polywave recording or whether it was the ability to designate all the inputs and outputs to whatever I wanted to. Yeah. And then the Rodecaster Pro 2 came along. I was like, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on that. But before I did that, I had the opportunity. I've been wanting to upgrade my computer. I do 4K video editing. And you're like, well, SP, you're only recording in like 720 or 1080. Why are you doing 4K? For the simple purpose of when I upload this baby later to YouTube, if you upload it, even if it's 720 base, if you upload it at 4K, it's crisper on the playback. For whatever reason, YouTube prioritizes it a little bit better. So that's why I edit in 4K and editing in 4K was kicking my computer's butt that was, I think, first produced in 2015. I might have bought it in 2016, but it was refurbished. So it was getting a little long in the tooth. And in order to upgrade it, I wanted a new graphics card. Well, of course, pandemic happened and graphics card was impossible to find. Yeah. Finally had a friend that won a lottery and got it. If I would have just waited a couple of months, I could have got whatever I wanted to. But finally he got it and he said, SP, I'm going to buy this for you. Just send me the money and I'll send you the card. I'm like, hell of a friend. Yeah, that's great. Exactly. It's amazing. I owe him a lot. So he sent me the card and then I was just going to plug it into my old computer. As it turns out, that wasn't going to work because it was going to overheat the case that it was in. So I needed a new case. And then that led to just doing the whole thing over. Yeah. And, and it just led to, okay, I'm just going to build a new one. Absolute worst time to build a new computer, in my opinion. Cause again, if I would have just waited a couple of months, I would have saved hundreds of dollars, but I did get the computer at the time that I needed it. And so that happened. The audio thing with the Roadcaster Pro 2, that was going to happen anyway this year. Well, when the Roadcaster Pro 2 came out, I'm like, I've been waiting for this for three years. I'm going to pull the trigger on it. I need to refresh my gear. Anyway, I got that. And then for my birthday, my kids bought me this ultra wide monitor, which is absolutely amazing. I love the ultra wide monitor for any podcaster out there. If you're doing editing at all, it's wider. If you're doing live streaming at all, it allows you more flat windows right in front of you. It is just amazing. It probably paints my face with more light than I really should have with a stream. Need to maybe darken it a little bit, but I have old eyes. So give me all the lights. Give me the strong nits out of it. And when you combine everything together, you throw in the factor that there was finally a Logitech 4K webcam available at a reasonable price. I grabbed that. And then I got frustrated a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, editing is taking too long. I need something better. People use an editing board or an editing wheel. Some people use a stream deck. I was like, I want to try a programmable mouse. It was the right decision for me. It works great. And so I have upgraded literally everything except for this microphone. Where are you going with the microphone next? Well, the RE20 is what I want. I've wanted that for a few years. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. I mean, you mentioned the pandemic. The setup that you're, you're watching right now is a product of the pandemic in many respects. So 
I we, by the time we got to about the middle of season one, because the arrangement we wanted based on just the length of what the show would be is we wanted to make season one a pilot pilot season just to see if the concept took place because you want to know that it has legs before you make a lifetime commitment. And we knew about halfway through season one that it was good. We, you know, we, were, we were moving on. And just prior to the pandemic, I was looking for a potential space to do interviews with guests that were local to me that would be part of the show. And there's a local library in a neighboring town, a town that actually, I'm not going to say it by name because that would be uncouth, that it can irk me a little bit. But they had just refurbished and just totally rehabbed their library very high end and they created this incredible wing for content creation and it was at a decent price i thought it was overpriced you know it would it was it was actually just only a little bit less than going into a a dedicated professional recording studio that's around the block here and so i went there and they showed me around and it was fine but i had some interactions with the folks that i w- was showing me around that kind of irked me and so I decided, you know, forget it. I'm not going to pay these boobs to go and use their stuff when my stuff is just as good and it couldn't be better. Pandemic hit. And then my wife and I come together and agree, all right, we're going to overhaul our living room and we're going to turn it into a full studio and media creation suite in addition to being a living room. And so there's something and i'm sure this is something you can appreciate the sense of accomplishment when you really build the setup that you want that it both has the the qualities for production that you need or you think you will need in the future in addition to having just that amazing dedicated space in which to do the thing you love to do and the pandemic because i think we all kind of had like a pandemic project more or less something because we're all stuck inside and this was ours and you know this from experience there's nothing like finally creating that space and then upgrading it piece by piece by piece an incredible incredible thing but you said you're moving up to the re20 are you going do you have or are you looking to also have a condenser microphone that you want to have on hand as well and if so which one is it? What do you have your eye on? I've thought about that back and forth for quite some time. Unfortunately, the room that I'm in probably has a little bit too much reverb for a condenser microphone, and I don't really have the space or the desire to put audio treatment around here. Sure. I mean, it's pretty good for a dynamic microphone. I got bookshelves over there that I intentionally keep. It's actually nine foot ceilings, but I have like DVD cases up there on shelves. Yeah, you make a natural sound diffuser out of those if you arrange them right. Yeah. We added this Hutch which or credenza which actually came with the desk it's a long story it's from 1950s but it's very expensive furniture so we added all this stuff to the room uh the kids helped me get this desk in it's it's the kit the desk in the credenza is like six thousand dollars and i couldn't say no to it even though i wanted to because it was made in the 50s and it's not really configured for electronics or anything so i'm making do with a lot of this stuff but the key is this credenza actually adds a lot of baffling between the hutch that I put on top of it and the hutch is new, the credenza is from the fifties and like the Amish built it. And that's why it's, <laughs> well, you know, it'll last. Yeah. 
it's cherry wood. It's well put together. And, but the hutch is like, I'll have to buy a new hutch before I buy anything. I did put glass on top of these, but I also put a lot of stuff on top of the glass. So it's not like a hard surface. One of the things about the ultra wide monitor that I'm trying to deal with, it is a huge reflection. It is a huge flat panel right in front of me that I use when I'm podcasting. So doing something like you're doing going off to the side might actually be in my future when I'm talking about streaming and recording, because then I can manage the reflections a little bit. I However, you. yeah, this place, this space is about as good as I can get to answer your question. I don't think a condenser is in my future. If I was going to get one, I would get one of the starting voice actor condenser microphones probably in the 300 to 500 dollar range so like maybe like a, a cad e100s or i guess that's the sx now something like that maybe i haven't like no, just throwing one out there yeah you know it's funny i saw your video that you made uh, not, not too distant past about your new setup and being able to see it from the other side and it, that's a, a that is a first class rig in terms of building a a truly first class podcasting recording space from home. So whatever limitations of the room that may exist there, it's very impressive. Yeah. So I'm fine with using uh, this dynamic microphone. Oddly enough, at one point in time, one of my co-hosts actually was working, still works as a producer at WL Dell 700 radio in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we went to a convention there. We had a presentation, a collective presentation on a panel for podcasting there. After that, he took us to the studio and we recorded a podcast in the studio. It's one of my favorite times of just podcasting just for fun. The only regret I have for that is Steven wasn't there. And in the studio, they had RE320 microphones. Oh, yeah. And it was after I had purchased mine. So I was very familiar with it and was like vindicated. Oddly enough, everybody else that was in the room. They all upgraded to an RE320 within a year after being in there because... It's a fantastic mic for spoken word. Yeah. They had used it and they were like, oh, that's what SP is talking about because they actually got to see it, feel it, um, have themselves heard on it, you know, be able to hear themselves, the sound and everything. So yeah, that's one of the great things about it. But condenser microphones, if I was really into fine sound that would replicate my voice perfectly i would go into condensers and i know bandrew over a podcast he's more into other microphones than dynamic microphones now because he's just progressed to that point i just don't have the the sound deadening in order to go there and i don't have the space to construct a sound booth in my house either oddly enough it's four bedroom house but i don't have the space for it you know, it's interesting. The one thing that I use for uh, for audio treatment that's been extremely effective that allows me to use a condenser in the space is sound blankets have actually ended up being extremely useful in my case. That and the shelves behind me, I, I think I could, I, if it weren't essentially being used as a background for the, uh, a set, I would most certainly arrange books and, you know, you do it few vertically and then you have another portion of it where you stack them horizontally and then do it vertically again with all the pages facing out and it in my experience because i've done it as a test it really actually works incredibly well as a sound diffuser and helping to accomplish that so when i hear about 
you having a really tall book stand, that's the first thing I'm thinking to is like, wow, there's an opportunity to add some audio treatment that I've used in the past, though. At the moment, for purely aesthetic purposes, I've I've gone without. But the sound blankets for me have actually worked very well. Yeah. One thing you might want to consider, and I'm considering it as well, is the only reason I was bringing it up, is if I do get rid of the books, because I'm transitioning, in, unless it's a signed book or a book that I've read several times and I want to keep it around sure. or something like that, I'm transitioning to all e- e-books now. Mm. They weigh a ton and mm. they cluttery and whatever so if i do get rid of them i lose the bat i'm pointing to the right one now i lose the baffling of them and unfortunately that's an issue like if i just made all those shelves over my right shoulder display shelves with knickknacks versus the books in them and if i did that i would put sound treatments on the backside and like bass traps in the corner like little bass traps in the corners of the shelves and stuff like that so if that is ever an issue for you, you might yeah. want to consider that. No, the base traps are definitely the final frontier for me in this case. Uh, and at some point, I think I'm going to do them just to tighten things up even more. When it comes to improving the quality of the environment that you're recording in, you know, in terms of just passing on wisdom to those who may be watching, there's no question that getting the space you are recording in properly audio treated within reason in terms of dollars and cents it's very much worth it that all the gear in the world even stuff that's as well crafted as a good dynamic microphone like the ones electro voice produced like the one you're using the one i'm using good audio treatment is just worth its weight in gold that's something you can only really learn from experience Right. And as you're just starting podcasting, I don't think it's something you should concern yourself with, which is why I think going with a dynamic microphone is probably what you should do. Yeah, 99% of the time, to be sure. Yeah, Liberty Dude has a few others that I want to go through here. He said, SPU did nothing so outrageously bad to cultivate me into being (laughs) in your audience. I'm more like the dust that blows in when you open the front door. Sorry, bud. I will open my front door a lot less now, Liberty Dude. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay. Also, he said, any interest in the Earthworks ethos while it is on sale? Again, probably not for me, but I don't know. Maybe for you. I already have the Icon Pro. I know they're, they're different sounds. They are different sounds. And the fact that, I mean, the ethos has a, does so many favors for your voice based on what I've seen that now since it's gone from the original $700 price point down to $400 and there's probably a black deal, Black Friday deal on it, uh, based on what I've heard, definitely. I mean, for me, I think the Icon Pro is more what I look for because I, I really like the fact that it captures the voice very much as it is. It's not going to do you any favors if there's something about your voice you don't like, but if you're looking for something based on what I understand are the qualities of that microphone in particular that that $400 at the maximum price point in terms of a high quality condenser for broadcast podcasting purposes worth every penny and last comment that i'm going to throw up here is liberty duty says i would not be surprised to see sp return to the re320 after playing with the re20 the 320 might now be his quote i feel like i'm home on this mic unquote wow that's a very real thing Yeah, I'm not going to debate that because there might be truth to it. I have tested other microphones, the BP-40, the Rode Procaster, 
a few other microphones and I've ran them for two or three months and then I've done a head to head and every single time I've come back to the 320. So there's a very real possibility that will happen. Also, the 320, I think, fits my voice, which is a little bit a quieter voice and a more mundane, bassy voice. So the 320, as somebody once called it, I can't remember who did, they called it a chainsaw. It might have been Bandrew. Hmm called it a chainsaw for your voice, but it fits my voice and it makes my voice more listenable when you're on speakers, like in a car or something like that. So the 320 might turn out to be a better one because the RE20 is more flat frequency response. So we'll see, but I do want to try the RE20 when I move up into another generation of big boy microphones from the $300 to the, the $500 as well. Something that I've, as far as the 320 is concerned, I've used it on a number of occasions with uh, local guests to the show that are in here in studio with me. And I found, because it has that brighter presence to it, that it has worked very well in my experience on darker voices, where because of that, for whatever reason, it just seems to complement it. So, I mean, the RE320 as broadcast dynamics go for what the three hundred dollars roughly that it goes for if i remember correctly it was 2.99 yeah i would say that more than anything it is for about you know that that three hundred dollar range that it can very easily become somebody's forever mic just because it is that good and the quality of it especially based on dollars and cents comparatively on top of the fact that electro voice just manufactures extraordinarily high quality and built like a tank worth every penny so i I, let's put it this way if i only had the 320 that i basically started with i would have no room to complain it's it's brilliant right out of the box the one thing i will say about microphones especially microphones like the broadcast dynamic microphones there's a lot of foam in there yeah yeah after 10 years that foam disintegrates so 10 years, you can send it off to be rebuilt or you can buy a new one, but you're only going to get about 10 years out of one of these microphones. And that's just the way it is. But yeah, we'll see. I also did the Shure SM7B. Mm. Unfortunately, my voice is so quiet that I had to pump a lot of gain into it, which introduced artifacts into it. So on my voice, I know Bandrew loves it, but on my voice, the Shure SM7B is not a good fit. And if he was in the, if he was the sound engineer mm-hmm. that was producing and recording my voice, he would agree with me, but he's never actually done that. So I can't throw that back at him, but you'll, you'll never find somebody who proselytizes the SM7B more than Sir Bandrew to be sure. And he, he loves it and he has good reason to love it. It just, because even though it's not every microphone, microphones being you know that extremely personal choice, the one thing I can say for the SM7B, in addition to the fact that it's gain hungry as can be, you know I wouldn't use it without one of these uh, without a fet head gear. The one thing I will say to it is a very listenable microphone, especially over a long program, for the most part. Not perfect for everybody. It's certainly been very fetishized, but it's not right for everybody to be sure, but I can understand where he's coming from. Yep, me too. Well, in the interest of time right now, since I have... Yeah, this went longer than I had anticipated. Yeah, me too. I got to go make some turkey brine. We're recording this two days before American Thanksgiving. I want to thank 
you for coming on the show, Paul. So where is the best place for our better audience to find your content? Well, first off, thank you for having me. This has been a real pleasure. And, you know, <laughs> you know, a conversation that goes on for two hours. In addition to the fact that I don't stop talking, you're, it's also been fantastic to converse with you. You know, talking, podcasting, doing podcasting, about as much fun you can have with your clothes on. Where can you find AD history? You can, well, luckily, you can pretty much find it wherever you enjoy podcasts most. We are available almost in every conceivable location. And when I discover a new one, I make sure to get it there. So you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of those places. It's there. Of course, you can also find the video edition starting with the middle of the or early fourth season. So about a year ago, 12 months on YouTube, of course, at youtube.com slash AD History Podcast. And our homepage, where everything sits and where you can learn more about us, you'll find over at tgnreview.com slash AD History Podcast. And, you know, you have us on the socials, facebook.com slash AD History Podcast, instagram.com slash AD History Podcast, on Twitter, the handle AD History PC as well. Or, of course, if you just want to reach out to us because you have a question, whatever the case may be, you can also send us a message at adhistorypodcast at tgnreview.com. Sounds great. And by the way, I'm looking forward to your prequel podcast, BC History, in which you interview the everybody that was there. <laughs> Goodness. No, we do a Best of BC for patrons only, where it's a slightly different show. We take more events from the epoch that precedes us. And when we say the best of BC, we're not just talking about human history. We're literally talking about the history of the universe. The first one we did, one of the events that I chose was the Big Bang. So that's a little fun thing for us. And of course, you know, for, for the patrons as well, they get what we call a special director's cut where, you know, we leave a variety of things in that we wouldn't put out publicly. And of course, you have the you have access. We get episodes out 48 hours early, things of that nature. But wherever podcasts are found, wherever you enjoy them most, YouTube, you name it, it is there. And don't confuse us with the history of advertising progress uh, podcast, which in terms of the SEO thing, when we first started was one of our first challenges was to knock them off the first page, which we, luckily we have done when you search 80 history. But that's where you can find us, SP. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me for the past couple of hours. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a, a tremendous pleasure to talk with somebody who is so passionate and so knowledgeable and taking their time, you know, because I know you have a day job to do a, an entire show that speaks to how you can do this and how you can do it better, regardless of where you are in your podcasting journey. I think that is a tremendous public service that you do and you do incredibly well well thank you very much thank you and thank you for spending your time with paul and me over the past couple of hours if you like content like this please subscribe to the better podcasting youtube channel like the video also ding that bell to get notified of new videos or so the youtubers tell me or if you happen to be listening to the audio version, give Better Podcasting Chats with SP a follow on your podcatcher app and a five-star review or a thumbs up or whatever is on there. We would greatly appreciate it, both Stephen and myself. 
Tomorrow night, Stephen and I will be recording episode 265 of the Better Podcasting main show. We'll be delving into video podcasting, so make sure you tune in for that. And as for this show, Better Podcasting Chats with SP, next week on Tuesday, I'll be connecting with Sweet Child of Times, Steve Barnes. So get your Wheel of Time questions ready. We'll go into the ins and outs of podcasting about a book that became a streaming series. In the meantime, join the podcasting conversation on our Discord server, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. You can find both Stephen and myself there every day. We'll see everybody next time. And thanks for dropping by for those that came in live. Bye.